Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan McEnany, and I am so grateful to be here. I wish that I was in Atlantic City with you, but I am uh, in Minnesota. I'm actually getting married this weekend. So I'm still really grateful to be a part of this and celebrate 70 years with you. Congratulations to Eric. That's such a, a major, major milestone. And to have come through what we all did for the last couple of years and be here strong uh, is so exciting. So Congratulations, so excited for you, and I'm excited to be able to share some of my experience with you. Again, my name is Ryan McEnany, and today we're going to talk all about millennials and millennial marketing. And really, before we even get into marketing, we're going to take a step back and try and just figure out where millennials came from and help to get a better understanding of how to engage with millennials, myself included, um, by, again, getting some of that background into what made us who we are. So the me, me, me generation uh, coming from the millennial perspective. So as I mentioned, my name is Ryan McEnany. I work for a company called Bailey Nurseries, and we are a wholesale grower of shrubs and trees, mostly we grow perennials as well, but mostly shrubs and trees. We are based in Minnesota. This is one of our bare root farms. Bare root is about half of our business. Again, shrubs, trees, mostly some small fruits, some perennials. Uh, this is one of our, our Acer trees, uh, tree farms in Minnesota. So we grow a lot of bare root. Uh, we overwinter it in cold storage facilities, grow it back out in the field, containerize some of it, sell some of it, uh, bare root wholesale. The container farms we have in Minnesota, as well as Oregon, which you can see here. We've got a container farm uh, out in Yamhill, Oregon, in the Willamette Valley, as well as, uh, as, well as a lot of bare root fields as well. In addition to our container operations in Oregon and in Minnesota, we also have a container operation in Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago. And then we have a breeding farm in Athens, Georgia. So this is uh, one of our many, many uh, trays. This, I believe, is uh, Legostromia that we're breeding in Georgia. We are uh, a family business, and similar to Eric, we've got a, a long history. We have been in business for 115 years, and I am uh, very grateful uh, and honored to be a part of the fifth generation of Bailey family members that are a part of the business. So myself and my brother are the two in the fifth generation. My mom, who you can see in the front row, Terry McEnany is our CEO, as well as a number of cousins and uncles and grandpa and great uncle Gordy, who part of the third generation of the two of them that are still involved in the business. So we are uh, incredibly, incredibly proud of the heritage that has been built. Uh, we've got about 1,500 employees across the country at our peak uh, that make up our extended Bailey family that help grow all these uh, fantastic shrubs and trees that we can then send all across the country. In addition to our wholesale growing business, we also own three consumer brands. And the Summer Hydrangeas is the best selling that you would likely know the most, a best selling collection of hydrangeas in the world. Uh, it's a reblooming collection of big leaf hydrangea. We also have a very, very incredibly fast growing brand called First Editions Shrubs and Trees. And as uh, the name says, it's a collection mostly of shrubs and trees that um, come in regional selections. So of course we've got 
some broad, uh, broad plants that cover mo- much of the country. We do have some great regional selections as a part of that brand as well. And additionally, we have a, a brand called Easy Elegance Roses, which is a collection of shrub roses that are bred for disease resistance and cold hardiness um, that have done incredibly, incredibly well since that, along with Endless Summer, were introduced in the early 2000s. So I give you that sort of context to explain how I got here and why why um, my opinion hopefully can help direct some of what you're thinking. So I grew up in the business, obviously, as a fifth generation family member, left the organization um, when, during and after college. We have a rule as a part of our family that you've got to work outside the business before you can work in it. So I was a celebrity publicist in Los Angeles. Uh, so worked in the entertainment industry for a number of years, and then I've been back full-time at Bailey for eight, working in marketing communications. Uh, I'm now a marketing communications manager. And so this is right up my alley. This is exactly what I do every single day. So as I mentioned at the outset, we're going to get an idea of who millennials are. Again, we have to have that underlying context to really be able to figure out how we work with, how we communicate with, and how we earn business uh, of this this age group and this demographic. So we're going to start with who the heck are millennials? And I think that this picture uh, sums up sort of the stereotypes uh, really, really well. Stereotypes a lot of times are based in some some version of fact. And so I think that this is a a really strong one. Not only is there uh, cultural diversity, ethnic diversity, just color in general, the vibrant color of clothing, I think is representative of of our demographic. Uh, Probably most obvious is sitting and staring at their phones or their tablets with their fancy coffees in a really brightly lit space. Um, All of these things are true. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit more about each piece of that. But to me, if you were to sum up millennials in one picture, this would be it for better or worse. We're going to talk about both sides of that coin as we go through this today. This is another great representation, the selfie generation. We are uh, have this, this idea of being somewhat self-obsessed uh, with technology and this selfie focus, uh, selfie forward approach to uh, how we live our lives and engage. So this is another one. I think if you If you Google millennials, I would imagine that these two would come to the top of it. The queen of selfies herself, Miss Kim Kardashian. If you think of someone, again, from my background coming into this from an entertainment space, someone that really led our cultural development, Kim and the rest of her family uh, probably would lead that charge. She and her family have really created this this media, social media driven society that we live in. And uh, she and Paris Hilton uh, and Britney Spears, I think claim that they are some that created the selfie. And so as we think again of who millennials are, this selfie focused Kim Kardashian um, probably at least leads the stereotype of who a millennial is. I also mentioned that I myself am a millennial. I uh, probably am on the little bit of the older end of the millennial generation. I just turned 35 this summer, but I still fall into that category. I grew up with technology most of my life. 
Um, and so that's really influenced who I am. As you can see, I'm on almost all of the social media platforms. I not TikTok. I feel like maybe I'm a little too old for TikTok. I don't know. I just haven't really taken the time to get into it myself. So this is, again, I fit into so many of these categories. I'm the right age, but also a lot of the pieces that we're going to talk about fit perfectly with who I am uh, as a person. So again, we have to understand context. We have to understand what makes any generation uh, who they are. And if you look at all of the things that are going on in the world, and you can understand some of, again, this context that develops around us that really has a lot of impact, the events in the world really have the most important um, impact on what shapes all of us. So this, I thought, was a really great way of taking a step back and looking at what built to where we are now and see where you fit in this. And if if you see some of these things and see how they changed who you are. So if we look at the millennials, even some of the Gen Xers who are just a little bit older than me, what, grew up, what do we grow up with? Technology, I mentioned, is really one of the leading things that has shaped millennials. I got my first cell phone when I turned 16. It was the little block Nokia and all you could do was make calls and play snake on it. But it was a really important part of what made me who I am today. The AIDS crisis in the early 90s, even though I was in, uh, grow, grew up in a uh, nurseryman's business in Minnesota, it still was something that I was surrounded by in media. And so again, that sort of shaped who I am and and those maybe a little bit older than me too, that that is something that we grew up understanding. If you look at some of the traits of who millennials are, obviously comfortable with tech, family-centric, which I think is something that's really important. And we're going to talk a little bit about, a little more about that in a little bit. And this idea of optimism. And when you think of, again, that stereotype of millennial, optimism may not be one of the first things that you think about but it is really important and really core to who we are. So we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into that. When you look at age, this, uh, this is sort of an always shifting thing as more Gen Zers come into the mix, uh, but millennials are still one of the largest populations and the largest spending population in the United States today. This is, uh, again, a little bit old. Um, this is as of 2020, but still 82 million strong. We're about a quarter of the U.S. population. So obviously you're all here because we want to learn more about millennials. But again, this just shows the amount of the mass of power that the millennial generation has, not only in terms of culture, but in terms of spending. Second largest age group behind Gen Zers, which is another, another uh, population that we really have to start understanding a little bit better, understanding the mindset and the, again, the context in which they grew up. With the millennials, we're known as the connected generation. So there's a lot of, of connections to the silent generation in terms of how we grew up in the economic terms, um, but as you look at the millennials and technology, this connected generation is another way that you can think about us. More than 25% of people believe that this rapid, drastic advance of technology in our lifetimes is what made us unique. And if you think about it, again, 
I was 16 years old and I'm on the older end to get a cell phone. And you look at those younger than us, how young people are getting technology. I have a three and a half year old niece and I swear she can use my phone better than me. And that's no comment on uh, my brother and sister-in-law's parenting skills at all. It is just what it are, what we have become and what is necessary to get through some of our the day-to-day pieces of our lives. In addition to that technology piece, we are the most diverse and the most educated generation in the United States. This diversity, again, uh, we're talking about multitudes of diversity. It is ethnic. It is socioeconomic. It, it, there are so many pieces of what makes the melting pot, not only of the United States, but especially when we start looking at millennials, that we are an incredibly diverse population. As I mentioned, also the most educated group of people in the United States at this time. Over 40% of millennials have a college degree. And if you look at the boomer population, that's at 26%. So we can have a conversation all day long about the uh, the necessity of higher education. I got my four-year degree and it was one of the best pieces of, uh, best things that I could have done. But There's also other things that come with that, which we're going to talk about when we talk about the economics of it. But understanding, again, the context of how we grew up and how we got to where we are today is really important. So remember that connected generation, most educated, most diverse. So when we talk about that diversity, when we just talk about the ethnic diversity of millennials, since 1980, the white non-Hispanic group that I fit into has gone from 78 to 56% in that 15 to 34 year old range. So that is a massive, massive drop over 20% change moving away from the white non-Hispanic ethnicity within that age group. According to the Brookings Institute, 44% of the millennial population is, is a minority. We are, again, the most diverse in American history. So to continue that conversation, there's this idea that there's a cultural generational gap between the post-millennials and pre-millennials. We're sort of right in this middle phase of what is happening culturally and ethnically in our country. This influences consumer shopping, cultural practices, politics, and so much more. If you look at this, chart, this shows, again, white, Hispanic, Black, Asian, or other, if you, again, looking at ethnicity and race. And you can see that that white population is shrinking as we get younger and younger. But you look at millennials, and we're right in that middle spot where it is predominantly white versus predominantly mixed. And so as we get into younger millennials, into Gen Z, when we're looking at how we communicate, how we engage, this is really important, especially if you're like me and you are white and maybe grew up in the suburbs. Our life experience is probably different than some of the people that we're having conversations with. So again, it's all context. This is not good, nor is it bad. I'm not waging an opinion there. I just want to make sure that we are understanding how we're getting into these conversations and how we're communicating and who we're communicating with. So as millennials age, and as we have more Gen Zers, more young millennials coming in, 
We're helping pave the way for more diverse shoppers, business leaders, educators, consumers. And so using the millennials that are in place right now to help understand how do we bridge that gap into who is coming into the workforce, who is coming in to buy our products, we have to have more engagement and learn from millennials who learn from Gen Zers. So learning how to communicate and how to engage with a millennial audience that is, again, the most diverse, especially the most diverse shopping population, most diverse in our, in our companies, this is like dipping a toe in the water for what it's going to become in the future. So this is a really important tipping point in all of our communications, in all of our business operations. Having this understanding now is going to set us up for success in the future. I mentioned the economic impact of millennials. There's a really fabulous uh, marketing genius named John Gersma, and he wrote a fabulous book called Spend Shift, where he's talking about this conversation about the economic impact of different generations. And when he's talking about millennials, one of the study pieces of, uh, of, of his study that he published is that the millennials have more than $1 trillion in consumer spending in the U.S., that is a massive, massive amount. This is a uh, chart that comes from Snapchat because, of course, they're very interested in millennial Gen Z spending and how we engage using technology. And so this is showing where that crossover of where millennials are going to be the number one spending power, which, of course, is important for us. Um, but one of the other things that I think is really important for us to understand is when you look at today, and again, this is a chart from 2018. Millennials are not the number one spending power. It's still Gen X and boomers. So what I think is really important about this is two things. One, don't ignore your current boomer Gen X customers right now. They're still probably spending the most amount of money with you. But 2029, when he anticipates that this crosses over and millennials become control that largest share of disposable income in the US, we got to be prepared. And 2029 is not that far away. When we're looking at strategic planning, we're looking at five, 10-year plans. This is right in that mix. So again, don't ignore your core customer right now, but we need to be really intentional about planning ahead. So the fact that you're here now to understand how to engage is critical for how you plan for the future. So let's now have a different conversation about where the name of this talk came from, about not just the, the money, all that stuff is important, the cultural stuff is really important, but where does this me, me, me idea come from? This was an article uh, that was written for Time Magazine in 2013. This was the cover and it named the me, me, me generation. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents, and the most important part in my mind, why they'll save us all. So this is what sets everything up for us. Again, you look at the cover, selfie generation, connected generation. It's all about me. This narcissistic, selfie-obsessed, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok-obsessed millennial. 
We all have this moment. I own a, a nail salon business outside of, of Bailey. And I tell you, sometimes I catch myself being like, oh my gosh, get off your phone. And I'm like, okay, me too. <laughs> and I have to remember to give myself context. So let's dig a little bit deeper into what this me, me, me means, where this lazy, entitled narcissist who still lives with their parents and why they'll save us all. So I talked about Kim at the beginning. Now I'm going to talk about her now estranged husband, Kanye, as well. And this is a classic Kanye West quote. This is from 2005, so it's a while ago, but still very much in uh, in how he interacts. He said, come on now, how could you be me and want to be someone else? And when we're talking about millennials, there's the sort of this idea of the narcissism and like, I'm the best and posting only the best pictures of ourselves online. It's a very real piece of it. If you look at the studies that talk about narcissistic personality disorder, you'll find nearly three times, this is nearly three times as high for millennials compared to those in six, those that are 65 and older. That's from the National Institute of Health. Three times more in the millennial generation than if you look at boomers or the silent generation. That is massive. That is real. If you look at the studies uh, on, again, narcissism, 58% more college students scored higher on that narcissism scale in 2009 than in 1982. Again, big picture, that's not that many years. 58, almost 60% scored higher. Again, very real things that, especially us millennials, we have to face. This is, this is real life. How about this one? <laughs> How many have talked about the participation trophy? I love the subheader on this one. Creating entitlement-minded whiners since the 1980s. 99% fool's gold. 40% of millennials feel they should be promoted every two years, regardless of performance. Participation trophy. Very real. Every two-year promotion. Very real. Celebrities, I fell into this as well. And I had a great time and I learned a lot, but this is a very real part of, of life. It, it's, we are a very, uh, a generation that is very focused on this idea of celebrity, creating celebrity of yourself, TikTok fame, YouTube fame. This is real. You look at the, the gentleman holding <laughs> the umbrella uh, over John Travolta or Kim, or holding Beyonce's train at the Met Gala. This is very, very real. Three times as many middle school girls want to grow up to be a personal assistant to a celebrity than they want to be a senator. Four times would pick that assistant job, holding that umbrella over being the CEO of a major corporation. Again, sort of an ugly truth. This is things that we have to understand. And maybe it's not what we want to hear, but it is what exists. And so, again, this context, as we think about how to engage, how to get people to buy our product and get excited about our product, all of these things should be in our mind. So we've got this sort of like ugly, maybe, perception of, of millennials, these sort of ugly facts that we do have to, have to deal with and understand and work through. So 
I think it's really important to sort of flip the script a little bit and have an understanding of where it all came from. We we didn't just come out of nowhere and turn into this narcissistic, selfish whiner that lives at their parents' house, right? It all came from somewhere. And so I think it's really important to always take a step back and look at the preceding generation or generations to sort of understand what molded us into who we are. So I think these are two really important pieces to look at. This is the Yuppie Handbook and the cover of New York Magazine from 1976, the me decade. So when you look at baby boomers and of that generation, this is what shaped them. This is what our parents grew up in. And you think of the suburban perfect life. This is not leave it to beaver. This is the 80s, the 70s and going into the 80s. And this sort of evolution into the yuppie. So millennials are the children of the baby boomers who Tom Wolfe in the New York, Ma- or New York Magazine called the me generation, who then produced the me, me, me generation. So you have this understanding that you're going from me into something more. And again, you take that step back, you're the connected generation. It's all of this, this perfection this suburban perfection that is exacerbated by technology. Again, this isn't a hard and fast rule. These are just looking at large cultural phenomenon. So I'm not saying that it is all of us that are on this call, all of our, our friends, family, parents, brothers and sisters, customers that fall into this category. But when we're looking at the larger picture, this is some of the big trends that shaped my parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. So when we look at what made us into who we are, take that understanding and take it, add technology on top. I think back to the participation trophy that I know I hear a lot of of complaints and questions about and say, oh, everyone wants a prize. All these millennials, they always need a prize we didn't give those to ourselves. I played soccer and hockey and baseball growing up. I didn't go order the, the trophy or the ribbon for myself. It was given to us. We were taught that. And so we have to understand again, that we didn't just create this world that we live in that all sort of like that nasty stuff. And this isn't just a point blame at our parents either. It's a larger cultural conversation. But when we think about those things and understand that some of this was thrust upon us, we add technology on top and it just makes it worse. Social media is a big part of my job, but there's a lot of nastiness there too. And so we want to pull ourselves out. And millennials, Gen Z especially, there's a little bit of... uh, a revolt against technology and social to, to a certain extent, because we're starting to understand this. And so again, you coming to this with the context of what brings us to today is really important. So it can help shape how you change that conversation or maybe change your mindset. 
I think about this too. I grew up with this experience watching slides from when people came back from vacations. It's, it's a similar concept to what we have right now. There's this great quote um, that said, can you imagine how many Instagrams of people playing in the mud during Woodstock we would have seen? I think in many ways, you're blaming millennials for the technology that happens to exist right now. We all sat around and watched slides. If you look around our houses, especially in the 80s, 90s, even today, but growing up for me, we all walk around our houses with hundreds of pictures of ourselves. We sat and watched with cocktails, maybe not me because I was young, but look in the picture, sat around with a beer and a cocktail, watching pictures of ourselves. Again, I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think this is a fabulous way to celebrate. But think back to the quote about Woodstock. If we had Instagram during Woodstock, we have similar things right now, Lollapalooza. Are we blaming millennials for the technology that exists during our time? Just a question. I, in a different sort of world, I think about it this way. Kids having their phone in school. My sister's a, a elementary school teacher. And so we've had this conversation and her kids are a little bit younger. So not all of them have phones, but some do. And so we get really frustrated and blame kids for taking their phones out during class. Then I try and think about myself. If I'm standing in line at the grocery store waiting, can I go that whole time without checking my phone? It sort of becomes second nature for us. And us as adults, and especially when we're thinking even my parents' generation or older, that didn't have technology, but it's still become a part of our lives. Now, can we blame the younger kids, the Gen Zers that have always had technology can we blame them again, necessarily? Again, we can work to correct things, but it's really important to understand that context. I also think that there's some really great things about technology too. Again, we can talk all day about the negative of it, but there's some really cool stuff that has made us such a different, a different generation that, that is idealistic, entrepreneurial, we're connected to people all around the world in an instant. It causes us to challenge convention because we see what can be done when people put their minds to something that they're really passionate about. That's really cool. So we're not just selfish and entitled, but also really curious and optimistic. We crave experience because we can see what is out there in the world. It's really, really cool. So it's about harnessing that technology and using it for what is good. So in our context, millennials, Gen Zers are really passionate about sustainability, really passionate about climate change. We have the opportunity to connect in a really, really cool, cool way. So understand what brings us here today. Yes, it's really easy. Like I mentioned, it's really easy for myself too to get frustrated with, with people, millennials, Gen Zers around us that are technology obsessed and taking selfies and always on their phones. But understand that that's just part of how we grew up. And let's harness the really good stuff about technology.
Some other context around uh, millennials. I mentioned that there's uh, sort of parallels to those who grew up in the Great Depression. We grew up, many of us in the millennial generation during what our industry, I think, generally would call the Great Recession. Many of us graduated high school or college. Again, most educated generation, 40% of us with a college degree with massive, massive amounts of debt. You can see the cost of colleges increasing, student debt skyrocketing in that 15 years that this graph shows. And we graduated college, graduated high school, right in the middle of the Great Recession. So there's been this push for a, a two or four year degree. Again, it was fabulous for me. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but massive amounts of debt graduating into a recession where there's major employment issues. So this really changes how we behave and what's important to us and how we show our lives. Again, we're talking about social and showing, you know, like the perfect parts of our lives because we grew up in a really challenging time or became adults in a really, really challenging time. So our spending is different. Again, you look back to, to the generation that lived through the depression, there's a more frugal spending, but with technology, there's also that focus on appearance. So it's sort of this dichotomy of, of culture that we, that we live in. The U.S. Chamber Foundation said that for the first time, again, when this was, when this was made, first time in America, there's more student loan debt than credit card debt. So borrowers today are responsible for paying back double the amounts required just 20 years ago. That is a massive responsibility especially for those of us that came into the workforce when there was no jobs, limited jobs, low paying jobs. So really, really challenging and really shaped how we view stuff in our lives. You look at home purchases, we're pushed back. Having children pushed back. All of these things are driven by these economics really, really important for us to understand. And when we're looking at how we have conversations with people, with our employees, our customers, that experience focus, the, the longevity of our product and the importance of our product, we've got the sustainability aspect, local aspect, but this is a really strong investment. This is another really key piece to how we recruit and retain workers, consumers. So think about where we're going. Millennials, I love this quote. This is 11 years old now, but I still love this quote. Remember earlier I talked about the optimism? Now, I really don't like to read slides because that's boring when you're watching someone speak, but I think that this is really important. Millennials are seeking happiness. Remember what I was talking about with the economics of it and how we grew up in this sort of challenging economic time, 9-11, the AIDS crisis. But there's this, this focus on finding happiness that is deep within us. We have this, the participation trophies, all that stuff, finding really good nuggets that are happening despite all of the other stuff. 
So even in the hard times, like when we graduated college, I graduated in 2007, December, going into 2008, 2009, with the, when the rest of my friends graduated college, really hard times. We've retained our trademark buoyancy, finding the good, being resilient, using the benefits of technology to help us grow as professionals, as people. You look at the freelance market, that exists because there is this buoyancy, this need and to survive and thrive that's really important to the millennial generation. So this, uh, this next line is about the Pew Research Organization. Nine out of 10 millennials still expected to reach their goals by the time of retirement, but the secret is in adjusting the goals. Remember I talked about home ownership, having children, big purchases like vehicles, cabins, lake homes. It's just adjusting it. So we might've come out of college in a, a more challenging time. So maybe push that stuff back a little bit. Spend money on the experience. You look at, again, millennials and people say, oh my God, they're just spending money on all this stuff or vacations. Well, because we shifted perspective a little bit. That stuff is important. And now many of us, like me and a lot of my friends, we're, we bought our houses, mentioned I'm getting married. All of those things are happening. It's just maybe a little bit different. A lot of my friends are filling their landscapes with, with beautiful plants and asking questions. How do I build this retaining wall? What's the best stone to put in? What about irrigation? What about shrubs? What annuals can I put in some pots? They're asking these questions because now we're getting to that point. So they ask, what does a millennial dominated economy look like? This is their prediction 11 years ago. Smaller, greener, less impulsive, more inclined to go out without un unnecessary frills and thrills. Not because they're anti-consumerist, but because they're simply more inclined to save than spend. And that may in the end save us all. So tying back to that Time Magazine cover, this is where that, that piece of the, the buoyancy and the benefit of millennials really, really comes to pass. Smaller, greener, less impulsive, more to go without unnecessary frills and thrills. Again, you, you might look and see like all these people posting their, their Instagram pictures of them on vacations. I've done that too. I did that before I bought my house, got engaged, getting married, don't have kids yet. Learned from all that. I gained this really cool life experience, but was really strategic about how I spent money on that and understanding why that was important for me. Smaller and greener. Again, really focused on this sustainable, long-lasting, impactful savings plan and goals for the future. Not anti-consumerist. We're really good at spending money. I'm especially really good at spending money. But we also want to make sure we don't relive what we saw our families go through and what we experienced coming into a recession. And that is where there's power in the millennials. And that is where there's power in technology and understanding how to harness the goodness of it. So we've spent a half an hour really digging into like 
the nitty gritty of millennials. And, and that's, again, really important, I feel, context to understand. Now we get to talk about where do we fit? How does this industry connect with that consumer? This is uh, just from, from Google. When you look at the, the keyword of gardening and the interest over time, this is massive. Look at that big increase. And this was before COVID. Even during and after COVID, it spikes even higher. The interest in gardening grows even greater, which is really, really exciting for us to see. The interest in not just gardening, but all the other pieces of sustainability, of working in your community to create community gardens, rain gardens, all of those things have become more and more important. This was a, a survey that was done right at the beginning of COVID last year. This was in April of 2020. And I bring this up again, there's a lot of words on here and so you don't necessarily need to read all of them. But I think what's really important and really interesting about that is when you look at the data, and this is from a, a company that, that Bailey uses or has used uh, for some of our paid uh, campaigns in the past. And so they look at, at data for what people are searching for and what they're intending to spend money on and what is important to them. And as this goes all the way from January to April 2020, again, beginning of COVID. And what was really interesting, typically in February, March, we'll see gardening on there as, as garden centers start to open up. Garden typically will fall off. But this one, gardening stays on. People were kickstarted that didn't necessarily buy our product in the past to engage. And there's a, there's a lot of surveys that talk about the X millions of people that started buying green goods in 2020. And that's true. And it's really important. But it's really cool because now we get to take all of those people and help them have success. I think that's what's really important for us to understand. And when you're looking at how to have this conversation with millennials who drove a lot of that new purchase in 2020 and so far in spring uh, and summer of 2021, how do we then? retain those people? How do we keep them engaged? How do we build on that opportunity for sales? It's that focus on lasting impact, feeling of success of ownership. Because again, we talked about all these things that mentally have, have brought us to where we are today, building on success, ownership of their space, all of those things are really important. So when you're building out your marketing plans, your communication plans, focus on sustainability. Help them have success by giving tips and tricks. Showcase those people that are having success and talk about what made it really an exciting year for them. Something new that they tried, that they did really well with and what they're going to try next. So as we went into 2021 at Bailey, we also wanted to dig a little bit deeper into these new gardeners or COVID gardeners. So we did a survey. We worked with an organization out of Chicago to do this survey on our behalf uh, that talked with people that just started buying green goods in 2020. So these, this is that core COVID gardener group. We made sure there was a, a cross section uh, from all across the country. We could break it out by a bunch of different demographics 
And I'm not going to share everything with you. Um, there's far too many slides would be here for another hour, but I want to share some of our key findings with you because I think this is really important. Again, as you're dialing in that messaging and figuring out how to have that conversation, especially with the millennial audience, these are the things that we found. Regionality is really important. Understanding what's going to work for them, giving them care tips is really important. So does this mean that you have to create a whole bunch of content on your own? Not necessarily. You can rely on your partners uh, to come up with that content for you. Um, develop some yourself if you've got someone on staff or, or the master gardener group. But helping provide information to have success based on your climate, your zone is really important. Probably not the most surprising, but they got into this because they want to create a beautiful outdoor space. So again, when you're building out the, your content, you know that that's why they're, they're getting into this. What are you doing to pull on those levers that make millennials understanding where we're coming from? What are you going to do to pull those levers to get them to purchase? We asked uh, where they're shopping. Independent garden centers uh, were at the top. They're the most reliable, uh, which I think is probably for all of us in the, uh, this session, really excited to see. Um, some are over half uh, or less than half, excuse me, in 2020 were open to shopping online. I think it's really important um, just to understand this, that we're sort of at the outset of that online shopping. So if you didn't set up online in 2020 or 2021, it might be something to look at. That is, we're seeing a little bit of a shifting tide there. Still want to buy local, uh, but online is, is a nice option. And so many other industries have gone that direction that I think it's important that we have that conversation as well. Most importantly, most people were really satisfied with 2020. Looking forward to 2021. But maintenance and prep of their areas are places where they needed more help. So again, helping educate, helping teach people how to have success is really important. That falls on all of us. Millennials don't like to look dumb, number one. They, again, they want to show this, this beautiful space. We've got to help them. That's our job to get them there. So when we're looking at 2020 versus 2021, one in three said they were going to spend more than they did last year. That is really, really cool. I think we saw that, especially in the beginning part of the year before the heat and drought set in in a lot of parts of the country. But not only did they have success last year, but people were planning on spending more this year than they did in years past. That means that we have the great power to retain these new gardeners. As an industry, we haven't traditionally been that great about capitalizing on moments like this where demand is high, supply is tight. But this is one subset of data, but this is an area where I think we have some excitement that we can share because people are really into this. And I think that, again, this idea of investment for millennials, ownership, creating a space that is their home that they can have pride in, that they can show off on Instagram, is something that's going to be long lasting. Help them have success, then build for the future. I like to think of it because I'm very food obsessed and food focused with as the appetizer and the entree. 2020, maybe 2021, 
this is the appetizer. They're maybe buying some shrubs, maybe buying some annuals. They're buying some pots, probably starting a veggie garden. There's uh, When we looked at our subset of data, there's a lot of people that were starting veggies. So that's just getting them started. Have that Help them have success. Then they're, they're going for the entree. Look at this again. People are spending more. They started building that, that privacy hedge. They got to do more now. They put in some green shrubs. Now they want to add a few more hydrangeas, bring some color, bring something different to the garden. So this is where we have that opportunity. Don't let up. We have to focus collectively to engage with this millennial audience, these new gardeners, even if they don't want to be called gardeners, which many don't. There's literally a hashtag on Instagram, not a gardener, but people that are buying our product that are interested, talk to them, not at them. So again, how do we fit? Not to them, not at them is a great example. We have a, a series called Garden Gab at Bailey where we just do really easy to understand content that is tips, tricks, how to have success. It's me just having the conversation with people about things that we get the most questions about on Facebook and Instagram. We're not trying to preach. We're just trying to say, we're going to help you have success with questions that you are already asking. So use your social channels if you've got them. Use your newsletter, do surveys, figure out what people need help with and provide that content to them. According to Forbes, 60% of millennials are more likely to, to share content online than non-millennials. So if you create something that's really, really cool, they're gonna share it for you. They're gonna become your brand ambassador, which is really, really powerful. They can help us attract new people. They can help us retain. If we have great content like Garden Gab, they're going to pass that along, help someone else have success so that they keep coming back. There's some other great influencers. Um, there are some that are not so great, but there's a lot of really great influencers that know their stuff. Look at them. Use them. Come to people like Bailey. You can use our content. All of it is accessible. If you're not already a Bailey customer or a customer of one of our growers, reach out to us. You're welcome to any of it. We're here to make it easy for you too, because you're the ones that are having that conversation day to day with those homeowners and those home gardeners. No, we've talked about the millions of people that have, have joined our industry. One uh, older fact that I think is, is still important to share uh, from the National Garden Association in 2016, over 80% of the 6 million people that they felt joined uh, this gardening group that started planting and digging in the dirt in that year, over 80% were millennials. I think if when we finally get some of this data pulled together on 2020, 2021, we're going to see the same thing there. So, Understanding how to have these conversations is really, really important. We have to give them multiple reasons to plant, dig in the dirt, participate in, in this thing that we all love. It's aesthetics. It's helping their community, their neighborhood. It's building a really amazing space for them to host friends and family outside. There's the wellness aspect of it. 
this is a picture from the Greater Des Moines Botanic Garden. And historically, in the last seven, eight years, their number one demographic, age demographic, to visit the Greater Des Moines Botanic Garden is millennials. Because they do really cool stuff like this. They do yoga. They do uh, band nights outside, weddings, all of this stuff to get people into the garden. Remember the appetizer entree? We just got to get them there and they're going to fall in love. We did a tour for Endless Summer Hydrangeas a number of years ago uh, in Chicago. And uh, we went to a beer festival. Uh, I was trying to find some fun ways for us to connect with non-gardeners. And there's a beer festival at Lincoln Park Zoo. And I thought that could be pretty cool. So I reached out. We got a space. We were the only non-beer vendor there. I built a wall out of hydrangeas as a step and repeat so people could take their pictures. And it got more and more fun as the night went on and people drank more and more beer. But what was really cool about that was it was all people my age, many younger, coming through and getting their pictures taken. We had a photographer there, shared it on social so they could share it the next day. How many people that were not gardeners said, I love hydrangeas. Hydrangeas are my favorite flower. I had hydrangeas in my wedding. So it's meeting them where they are. This is in person at a beer event. This is on social in places that they're already interacting. So maybe TikTok is something that we need to explore a little bit more, but for sure, Facebook and Instagram, meet them where they are. Have the conversation in a way that makes sense to them. Don't use language that is too horticultural. Leaf, not foliage is a great example of one. Meeting them where they are is a really important way to build this community. So think about your brand. Think about what makes you special and unique. Is it that you're really engaged in the community? Is it that you're really focused on sustainable, sustainable products? Are you really focused on what's new, what's cutting edge? Think about all those things and what makes you special first and then figure out how you can relay that to a, an audience that has all of these things that have built us to where we are today. All of that, that first half hour of what we talked about, what clicks with your business? Because no matter what, you have to be authentic. That is the most important piece of all of this is authenticity. Because our entire adult lives, we've been sold to. Think of the number of ads that we see on social every single day. On connected TV, if you're watching on Amazon, if you're watching something where you don't have the premier membership, you're getting ads, YouTube, Hulu. We are being sold to all the time. So we can tell. So you have to be authentic to you for your message to resonate. So start there. Create something that is really cool. Create partnerships. This picture on the left is from that event at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Find unique ways to engage with the community. Do planting days with kids. Do a kids-only shopping day. Do painting events. Have people come in and, you know, those, uh, those like paint-by-number things. Do it at your garden center. Do happy hours. All of that stuff, again, as long as it's authentic to you, bring that into the garden center. Bring in new people in that way. Appetizer, entree. Use this indoor plant phenomenon. The last slide I didn't touch on, but this is from the New York Times. 
how to become a plant parent. This is a story that the New York Times is writing about. There are plant swaps happening all over the country. People are spending hundreds of dollars on cuttings that someone has propagated at their house. Why aren't we more a part of that? Think about how that fits into your business, your business model. Try and find ways to engage. If indoor plants is your thing, again, appetizer entree. They're already excited about that. What can we do to get them more involved in the green industry and take that next step? Now, this isn't just about consumers, not just about people who are buying our product. Think about this from a recruiting perspective. Labor is probably one of the largest challenges that our industry faces across the board. So we have to find new ways to bring people to participate in our organizations for long-term sustainability. So we have to create ourselves as employers of choice. We're having this conversation internally at Bailey as well. How can we set ourselves apart? How can we compete with people outside of our industry that maybe can pay more than we do? Another, I mentioned John Gersma and his book, Spend Shift, earlier. Another fact that he had in there from the research that he had done, 87.5% of millennials disagreed with the statement that money is the best measure of success. Meaning, money is not the driving factor when they're talking about what is success in their world. Intelligence Group did a study that found 64% of millennials would rather make $40,000 a year at a job they love than $100,000 a year at a job that they think is boring. That is massive for our industry. We do, we do have the challenge of competing. We're in uh, the market in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area where we have companies like Target, Best Buy, Dairy Queen, United Health Group that can pay really big salaries. So how do we connect with those people that are now getting into the workforce or maybe burning out at some of those companies where they are just working their butts off or they're really bored with their office jobs. Think of all these sustainability, ownership, being involved in green, indoor plant parenthood, all that stuff is so much a part of our culture right now. We have the opportunity to bring those people into our fold, provide really unique experiences. And it doesn't just have to be working with the plants every day. Try and remember that we have a diverse, diverse array of positions in our industry that can fit with this millennial Gen Z workforce that is looking for something that has meaning. We have meaning. We are an industry of passion and beauty. Let's use it. It is our time right now to dominate. I mentioned meeting people where they are. This is about adaption to technology. Of course, millennials are leading the way on adoption of new technology. Gen Xers obviously following right behind us, even though there's sort of that you know pushback. Uh, but meeting people where they are. Think about where millennials are engaging right now. Social, texting, how many people would rather text than pick up the phone and make a phone call? I'm guilty. Think about where we're looking online. 
can you create native content or ads that look like they're in that website if someone's on Yahoo or CNN or wherever they are that looks like it's built into that website that might connect with them. Google ads, social media ads, think about a paid campaign, it's really cost efficient. YouTube, that's where we are spending our time already, so meet us there. Don't do ads in places that we might not be looking. TV, probably not the best use of money. It's expensive anyways. Probably not the best use of money. So the newspaper, probably not. Again, depends on your community and and, um, how they engage with media. But meet us where we are. Have conversations in the way that we are having conversations. If if that's not in your skill set to do it, Find someone that can. Get an intern. I have already passed off a lot of our copywriting for social to to someone younger than me uh, because she just can have more fun with it in a way and have conversations in ways that I can't. I still drive the strategy, but she's helping craft the content now, which is really, really important. And we're seeing it in our metrics. We're seeing that people are responding in a better way. So we went through a lot. <laughs> um, and I hope that that going through this understanding of context and where we came from helps in how you shape your conversations, your communications, your recruiting strategy, how you're spending money and where you're spending money. All of that is really important. So four key takeaways. Don't fight it. You know, I have had been told a number of times, I just can't hire one more millennial. I just can't deal with it. I just can't even worry about having that conversation because they're so entitled and selfish. You can't fight it. We have some of the greatest spending power in 2029 is not that far away. We are really incredibly brand loyal. We focus on relationships. So if you can build loyalty by having those real authentic conversations, it is going to serve you so well into the future. And there's nothing better, nothing cheaper, no cheaper advertising than word of mouth. And again, that brand loyalty is something that we are really, really built on. I will drive all the way across town to a restaurant that I know will call me by name, understand or remembers my my order, then I would one right down the street. That's just how we are. That loyalty, again, we have this world of technology that we're built on, but the interpersonal stuff matters and matters even more because we live in this digital space that when we have that real connection, it sticks with us. And we're going to tell other people about it. We are going to refer people to you. So don't fight millennials. Meet us where we are. Have that conversation in a real authentic way. And we are going to help you. Understand that context, all that whole first half of this that we talked about. We came into adulthood in a really, really challenging time. We grew up in a really scary time. I was in middle school when 9-11 happened. That's a really scary thing to experience as a young person trying to understand the world around you with technology coming in on top of that right after. So you're connected to all these different places in the world. There's especially at that point very little regulation over what is being shown online. Now we have this incredibly rapid advancement in technology 
So how we engage, how we communicate, how we determine what success is, is built around that. So understanding that as you're going into these conversations is going to set you up to really find strong connection. And then I talked about experience. It's, a, it's such an important piece of our culture that creating something that is memorable, special, unique is going to set you apart. Give people a reason to participate with you. And again, cheapest advertising is word of mouth. Give them a really great experience. They're going to come back. Make your business worthy of the dollar. And you have the power to really transform the future of your organization and of our industry. Thank you so much. I am incredibly grateful to be here today. I hope that you found some really great tidbits that you can take back with you. Of course, at any time, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Ryan McEnany, again, with Bailey Nurseries. You can find me on Instagram as well, Ryan Plants Plants. And feel free to send me a DM, send me an email, connect anytime if you've got any further questions. And I look forward to hopefully seeing some of you in person in the future very soon. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day.